This week's episode of the Quintueras podcast is sponsored by Barcelo Rum. Today, Barcelo Rum is the Dominican Republic's number one exported rum brand and the number one exported dark rum brand in the world. It's sold in over 70 countries where it's recognized as the leading premium rum from the Dominican Republic. That said, it's no surprise. Barcelo actually sent your boy a couple of bottles the other day. And let me tell you, I pulled out my fancy glass, a big old thicky thick ice cube, and pour some Barcelo in that joint. That drink was smooth, delicious. I highly recommend it, y'all. There was an article that said, like, loving your job is a capitalist trap. <laughs> it was very interesting. And it resonated with me because after that experience of leaving that job, when I approached the workforce again and came back to higher ed, I approached it with, this is not the center or the core of my identity anymore. So I want to pick a job that lets me do the things that I really enjoy doing. And that's going to push me in ways that are healthy, but it's not the core of who I am. I get to do really cool things and I really love the people that I work with. Like I enjoy them sincerely, but yeah, I, it's, it's not this major theme in my life. Dímelo mi gente, what's up? Welcome to another episode of the Quien Duetas podcast brought to you by Plural. The mission of this podcast is to redefine professionalism. And every week we have a new episode with a new, very special guest where we explore the conflict between professionalism and authenticity. This podcast is now in the top 10% of all podcasts globally. Some episodes are even reaching top 5%. This week, we have another very special guest. We have Yaselin Bugalo. She began her career in higher education at Brandeis and NYU, where she developed a passion for building access to education and pathways to social mobility. These days, she's a senior director of MBA admissions at the Stern School of Business at NYU. And when she's not spending time shaping the next generation of business leaders, she's taking time to spend with her family, likely and hopefully on a beach. Now that you know a little bit more about our guest, let's get into this week's episode and this dope conversation. You know, authenticity at its core for me means living a life that I don't want to escape from. Um, and I have to get credit. This wasn't my idea. I had read this in, in larger conversations talking around, you know, self-care and, and really valuing your existence, so to speak. Um, but when I thought, I've, I thought about this question, you know, since we started talking about the podcast and, and that's what I kind of got down to that. That's what it is, right. That I'm, I'm living a life that I'm proud of, that I can look myself in the eye and look the people that I love in the eye and say, this is me. I showed up as who I meant to be and who I want to be. That's deep. <laughs> That's deep. Tell, <laughs> tell me about the time when you weren't living that life, though. When were you living a life that you wanted to escape? Absolutely. Well, first, let me start. I think it's a continuum, right? Mm -hmm. I think that there are there are pieces in my life right now that I look at and I think, I, I don't like this. I'm not comfortable here. Something needs to change, right? So that it's not like a finish line. You don't, it's a lot of pressure to put on yourself to say like, hey, I've arrived because there's always, like, life is messy. I'm a mess all the time, right? And so <laughs> to say that, to, to say that, you know, that it's it's going to be a point where it's all over, I, I think is, is not realistic. Um, but a point where I felt like, yeah, where I wasn't authentic. I mean, I can point to a few 
parts of my life that felt that way. I think the biggest milestones, and it's weird to think about it this way, but I was, I had just had my second child. Um, I, had, I had my kids 24 months apart and I went back to work three days a week. Everything was flexible. Things were moving along. Um, but I, my husband, I had a job out of state. And so he was commuting pretty long hours. Um, I was doing the childcare gig by myself. I was trying to support a 30 to 40% travel schedule, which meant on those days, like my husband kind of had to tap in, um, which there's a lot of reasons why he had to take a job out of state. And that's like, that's another podcast. Um, but um, I was, I was trying to live up to the expectations of being a parent, being a wife and being a, a rock star employee. And I didn't take time to listen to that voice that said, is this, is this what we're doing now? Like, oh, okay, so we're just, we're, we're just forgetting what we need in this equation and putting all of our focus on the kids and the career and none of it on like how we're doing and that hit in your stomach when you wake up every day that you know, you're not really killing it in any way, you're, you're just surviving. Um, I lasted for about seven months after I went back to work because I just, I, I was burnt out and I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror and, and it was really hard because I'd been working since I was nine, right? Like my yeah. first job was going with my mom to the houses that she cleaned and doing odds and end jobs that I had been doing. And I never stopped working since then. So to all of a sudden turn around and say, I don't want to work anymore. I want to stay home with my kids and I want to just slow my life down. It felt like someone had just thrown a glass of ice water in my face. It was such a shock to have that experience. But when I look back on it, it's because I wasn't being true to what I needed in the moment. I wasn't saying I can't travel 40% anymore or we have the wrong childcare set up. Or, you know, hey, I think you should look for a job closer to the city. Whatever that was, it wasn't that voice, that authentic voice wasn't showing up. Um, and it led to some pretty big transitions and milestones in my life. I don't, I don't regret that it happened. I do wish that I had listened to that voice because it was there all along. But I just thought, well, I can do a little bit more, right? Like, come on, I'm a first generation immigrant. Like, my parents, they went through hell and back for me to get here. I can do this. I can make it through this really lovely corporate job and like life with two children and, and like full-time childcare. I can push through this. And there just came a point where that wasn't the answer anymore, right? Pushing through wasn't the answer. Stopping and being vulnerable and saying I need help was the answer. And I just completely ignored that. And, and what a life lesson that was to be able to say, you don't have to have it figured out in, in the way that you see other people figuring it out, like you can make those answers work for you. Yeah. And it's something that I've kind of carried with me in, in terms of what I've done since then. That's a powerful life-changing experience. And I had one similar. It was during the pandemic, actually. And a few things that stuck out to me when, when you were sharing that experience was one, just expectations, right? And my mind instantly went to, wait, whose expectations? Like, did someone tell you that you had to do all that? Or was yeah. it you telling yourself that you had to do all that? And I remember during the pandemic, it was, I remember going through like a performance re review, like a mid-year check-in for my performance review. 
And my manager was like, well, you know what, if you, if you want to get promoted and exceed expectations, like you got to do this, this, and that. And it was the first time I told her, mm. oh, no, no, I think, I think there's a disconnect here. I don't, I don't want to exceed expectations. Yeah. But even telling myself that and telling my manager that, like being comfortable with not wanting to exceed expectations was so difficult for me. Mm-hmm. But did I had you, to- Did you feel like physically uncomfortable when you said that? Oh, 100%. I felt like I needed that validation to tell myself that I was doing a good job. Mm-hmm. And I was on the road to something bigger. But like, I had to stop and think like, why do I even want something bigger? Like, I'm very comfortable where I am now. And like, you know what, maybe that'll change in a few months. But right now, I don't want to do that. Right? Maybe I want to exceed expectations in, in the next month or two months. But right now, I think it's okay to accept that I don't want I don't need to want more. And I feel like corporate has a funny way of making you feel like you should always be striving for more mm-hmm. yeah but I think going back to your expectation thing is like no one told me that I should be chasing that like I was telling myself I was putting that pressure on myself I'm curious for you like were you also putting that pressure on yourself or were people telling you what are you doing you could do all this yeah I think it, I think it was a little bit of both but honestly the voice that I listened to was the voice I was telling myself of mm-hmm. like hey you know, so-and-so over there just got back from maternity leave with their kids and, and they've, they've got it all figured out. Right. That's sometimes I, and I catch myself still doing it when I make an assumption that someone's got it all figured out. And then I realize I bet if I, you know, kind of looked under the hood, started pulling back those layers that, you know, no, that's not the case. And, and reminding myself that that's, that's not always there. So the expectations that I'm setting are under false pretenses. <laughs> that those aren't there, right? But there's also something to be said, I think, and this is something that still hits me very much, is my parents came here to build a new life. And they left behind a pretty good, pretty cushy life to work in manual labor jobs and, you know, really be at a certain point of the socioeconomic ladder so that I could then advance as far as I needed to go, right? That was, and I, I still very much have this mindset and I have to balance it out that I only have this short amount of time to go as far as I can go to create a different stability for my family, to create a different socioeconomic place for my family. And I'm talking about my family, meaning my kids, so my future generations and my past generations, like taking care of my parents and also ensuring that my kids have at least the same socioeconomic level that I do, right? And and so that always kind of fueled the drive to say, you have this opportunity now, you got to like run the hell out of it. And that expectation comes at a price. It always had, but I was willing to pay it when now you add a layer of being a parent on top of that. I was like, this isn't going to slow me down. I'll be fine. My expectation was that I could do the job and be the parent all at the same time. And that wasn't the case. (laughs) And I found out very quickly that that wasn't the case, but the expectation was that, yeah, that's what was going to happen. And on your, your comment, look, who are you exceeding expectations for, (laughs) for your company that's going to make more profit and you're going to, to be stuck in a mental health crisis, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I, I wonder, I wonder about that. Like I will, I'm the kind of person that I will always do well in my job. I will always, meaning that I will always do things 
to the best of my ability. But that extra little 10, 20% that takes to go to exceeding expectations, I want to be in control of that. I want to be able to put that in reference with the rest of my life to say, I'm able to exceed expectations because project really interests me. Maybe it's a, a request from the team that I'm working with to say, hey, we, we got to like really work on this. But there are going to be times when I'm going to sit back and be like, hey, you know what? Work, work, you don't get that extra that extra exceeding expectations. I got to go exceed expectations in like the menu that I want to put together for my friend's birthday party back when we used to have like live birthday parties. But <laughs> you know, like that, those are the sort of things that I want to be in control of. I want to now know and understand and want to put my energy in these places. Yeah. And that's, that's hard. <laughs> it's hard it is really difficult. Yourself. With all that pressure, right? And I'm getting chills when you said, thinking back to when you said, I not only have to think about family in my kids, but also in my previous generation, right? The family. Yeah. I'm curious, what were some of those emotions that came up for you when you made the decision to leave your job and prioritize or focus or dedicate more time to your, your family? So essentially stepping away from, mm -hmm. from working and being a full-time parent. One of the biggest ones was the guilt that I had in stepping away from my career in a way that my parents never had the luxury to do. And it is a luxury. It is absolutely a luxury. To stop um, working and yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I will, I say that fully knowing that for many of my friends going back to work wasn't a luxury because childcare costs were so high. Yeah. It was actually an economic choice for survival, right? Um, and those choices are real and, and exist on a day-to-day -day level. For me, it was, hey, I in a place where this no longer makes sense for me, I'm going to step away. So so the big one was was guilt, right? That my mother specifically didn't have this choice because it was a paycheck to paycheck situation for a lot of the times, right? Um, and, and the second piece was this thought of, if I don't work, then who am I? Like, if I don't have this piece to anchor me, then what am I doing? How am I going to spend my time? I'm supposed to be on this, like, up and up, right? Like, what's next? What's next? What's next? It doesn't exist when you stay home with your kids in the same way. Mm -hmm. What's next is like, are we practicing learning how to read? Are we, you know, thinking about eating healthy meals three times a day and getting off of that hamster wheel was just a huge identity shift to be able so to much, say so much of your identity is tied to your job and your, in your, in your so title. Yeah. Yeah. So much of it. Yeah. Yeah. I put up a post on LinkedIn a while ago. That is that like, there was an article that said like loving your job is a capitalist trap. <laughs> It was very interesting and it resonated with me because after that experience of leaving that job, when I approached the workforce again and came back to higher ed, I approached it with, this is not the center or the core of my identity anymore. So I want to pick a job that lets me do the things that I really enjoy doing. And that's going to push me in ways that are healthy, but it's not the core of who I am. I get to do really cool things and I really love the people that I work with. Like I enjoy them sincerely, but yeah, I, it's, it's not this major theme in my life. I'm assuming one of the emotions that you had during that time had to be fear, right? Because fear of the unknown, fear of like, if I did want to go back into the workforce, if and when would they want me? 
what would they say mm-hmm. about the potential gap in my resume? Like, did those thoughts, did those, did those thoughts come up? And was that a reality? In part, it was, you know, for, for better, for worse. I've always been pretty confident that I'm like good at what I do and have gotten that, that like feedback throughout the year. So I sort of walked into it and and thought like oh when I'm when I'm ready I'm gonna just say that I'm ready and I'm just gonna do it right like it's just gonna happen it wasn't until I actually started applying for jobs when I was ready to go back into the workforce that I thought like hey why isn't anyone picking up my resume this is this is interesting um I have direct experience it's been four years ago but I've kept up with the industry I've kept up with my network not much has changed so what's going on here um you know, and I sort of did that thing where you just send out resumes and see what happens. When I wasn't getting any hits, then I jumped into my network and rallied the troops and, you know, did the, did the thing that you're, that all the, you know, wise um, uh, career advisors tell you to do. And, and that's when things started picking up for sure. But, you know, I, I think the, the fear was more about losing my salary, not earning dollars coming in. Um, and, you definitely lose some freedom in that, right? You lose some ability to choose. But I wasn't so worried about being out of the marketplace too much. Um, and I think part of that is because I'm in an industry, you know, prior to that, I was in DNI recruiting that doesn't tend to evolve as rapidly as like tech or other sectors. So I think that was also a piece of it. Yeah. Well, didn't you say the ironic part? I think was that when you were when you were working there were companies that were actively recruiting you and like, oh my God, when, if you, if you want to yes. work here, just let me know. And they were like sliding yes. your DMs yet. When, when you applied back to them, it was like crickets. It was like, wait, what? Was this? You, yeah. you just, yeah. <laughs> oh, it totally was. Yeah, it totally was. And it's, it's funny now that I think about it because I'm like, look, I became the best manager when I was at home when I was working with my kids, like if you can, if you can potty train a toddler, you can manage through a lot of things in your life, including <laughs> your teams. Like there is such value in that. Um, and then I, I think, you know, I look at, I look at resumes all day long. So when I see, especially in the pandemic, when someone's had to take time out of their work or, you know, they have a gap on their resume, I, I approach that now with, such a different lens than than when I did before because there's so many reasons so many reasons that everyone takes a break from work whether it was voluntary or involuntary right there's so many pieces and so many stories behind all of that yeah I think the I think the pandemic helped in that regard where I don't I don't think I think a lot of people now empathize with so many things that they wouldn't have before like I think so many people would have questioned gaps on the resumes and now people that are reviewing resumes is like Oh, you know what? Those uh, those six months in Tulum, I took those. I took that time off. <laughs> I, yeah. Now that now I understand why someone else took time off, or for other reasons that aren't as fun, you know, health related issues and mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how do we create recruiting systems that allow the space for those things, um, and can see them as benefits to having this kind of candidate come to you? Yeah, I'm I'm curious now in your role, or even these days, right, you said, obviously, it's a continuous journey, we're all working through it. But now, these days, do you feel a bit more comfortable in bringing your most authentic self to to work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I would say absolutely, yes. Um, What I, what I've learned about myself over the years is that my authenticity is wrapped up with my vulnerability. 
they're they're really twins in that space. And in order to be authentic, I have to be vulnerable in in what's happening. I think coming up, you didn't see a lot of leaders say like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just figuring it out or I'm this is new to me. I'm on a learning curve. And I don't know if it was just the folks that I had in front of me or my sense is that even now it's just not something that's always spoken about. Um, and so as a younger you know, younger employee and staff member, I was like, oh my gosh, if, if you get to a certain level, like you have to have your stuff like neat and tied up and, and really in like this perfect package. And now I realize, oh, 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 if that's, if that's the deal, I'm out. <laughs> I wouldn't have, wouldn't have survived very long. And so I do feel like I have an opportunity to be in that space much more. And I've carved out this area where, you know, I can say the things that scare me at work are the things that I actually probably should do. And to be able to say that, you know, I, I recently went through a promotion cycle and, and was asked like, you know, what are your thoughts about this, this new position? And I was like, I'm, I'm scared. Absolutely. I'm frightened. I'm, there's a lot of curves that I gotta like, you know, the learning curves that I gotta go over, but it's the things that scare me the most that I have the most fun with. And I was Same. able to say that in the process. And it was like, so refreshing and reassuring just to say, I don't, I don't know what's involved in what you're asking me to do, but I know that I'm willing to try. And your support in this process means the world to me that I can stumble and know that it's okay. It's a part of the process. You're learning. And what to be able to reflect that to my teammate, to my team is really important too. Yeah. I'm so curious. What give you that confidence to be able to embrace those terrifying moments? Like, because you mentioned earlier, right, the representation that you saw previously was people not being vulnerable, maybe even like people avoiding some of those scary things. What was it for you that gave you that confidence? That's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm able to name that something is out of my wheelhouse or that I, I don't feel super confident in it, it also opens up space to be curious and to ask and to come at it as a student in some ways, like in that mind frame versus, you know, kind of walking in and saying, yeah, I've, I've got this all figured out. Hit me with whatever questions that you have. There are, there are definitely some pieces of my career and my professional skill set where I'm like, oh yeah, no, this is, I got this not to worry, but there, I've, I found it really helpful to say I'm starting from zero on this. So I'm going to need some bandwidth to figure it out and air cover too, from, you know, from the folks that I, that I work with that are my leaders to say, I'm, I'll get up to speed and I would really need some time, some support, some resources to, to get up there. And naming that in the beginning has allowed me to have that space. Um, I mean, as the words came out of my mouth, I, I, you know, was like, should I be saying this to here now? But I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to see if it's, if it's something, yeah, that I can do. I, I think one of the experiences too, that I had, so I, I started here at, at, um, at NYU Stern and I was in a marketing role and I had really great leaders, really great boss who said, have you ever thought about operations? And I was like, never a day in my life, <laughs> not even, never even consider it. And they're like, well, you sort of think like you have a systems mindset. Like I'm that person that like writes out their grocery store list in order of like the areas of the grocery store. Like I'm constantly organizing things or, you know, uh, one of my coworkers gave me a, like we, you know, maybe you should consider they're moving into operations. And I was like, you're hilarious. And I took the risk, freaking love it. And they would not have done that if someone hadn't tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, go ahead and try this. Right. 
you might might actually be good at it. And so that experience of starting from zero as as someone who had a decent amount of work experience underneath their belt was fascinating. Yeah. And I was scared the whole time I was doing it. Um, and that amazing team that supported me. And, and that that really made me think like, yeah, the scary stuff can actually be the really good stuff. One of the things I think made a huge difference was feeling safe. Yeah. One of, speaking of feeling safe, I'm sure people that work with you or even report into you, you want to make them feel safe as well. And I think one of the dope things that you mentioned was something along the lines of like, it's really important for me to do this because people are watching essentially. And I think that's, I think that is so true. I'm curious, like in you being your most authentic self or you being even vulnerable, have, have people said anything? For example, people, I'm sure, and maybe this is just me assuming people will probably like, thanks for saying that. Like, I didn't want to share that I was struggling with this, this and that, or that I was scared, but you gave me the confidence to do that. I've been really fortunate to hear those words reflected back to me in this process of, um, the, you know, the, the vulnerability and the authenticity. I really do enjoy when I get to talk to someone who's junior and is trying to figure it out. I really do enjoy saying like, look, I didn't know anything about operations and I started from zero and got to a really good place because I had a great team. I had support. I had safety. I had resources. Uh, I had a team that believed in me, you know, in both directions up and down, but I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> like those first three months, my goodness, I was just trying to get my bearings. And so sharing that story, I, I hope allows some other folks to see that, you know, you can continue to make strides and get to those great places without meeting every single qualification um, and ticking every single box. Because if I had done that, I don't think I would have I would have taken this journey and discovered that I, I really love this other area that I'd never even considered before. Um, and so I, I try to tell these stories as much as I can, because I think so often, especially, especially employees of color, but particularly women of color, we don't always go for the risky things. We don't always make the big jumps because, A, what if I fail, right? And then like all the security that I've built just melts away. Um, and I'm not ready for it. I, I only meet five of the 10, you know, qualifications. I'm not ready for it. And I, I think in part, we have to be okay with taking that leap. And we also have to push institutions to build in that safety so that we can take the leap, right? Whether that means support and training, mentorship, um, a, a senior leader who's got your back effectively and can give you that space and that bandwidth to do those risky things. Those institutions also need to be safe for the people taking the risks. I agree. Um, someone said someone said this on the podcast, I forget who, but essentially you being your most authentic self gives someone else permission to do the same, right? Because they're like, oh, well, she's doing it. That means I can do it, right? Mm -hmm. And feeling safe is, is very important, right? You're more likely to bring yourself to work if you do feel safe. But let's be real, like there are some times and instances where you don't feel safe, right? Absolutely. I'm curious for you, has there ever been a time where you haven't felt safe and you felt the need to hide parts of who you were? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially when you don't fit a traditional mold. And I go back to sort of being the eldest daughter of Latino immigrants, Hispanic immigrants. And you, there's always some family crisis that I'm dealing with at some point during the week 
there's a there's a WhatsApp conversation with 167 messages on my phone <laughs> dealing with whatever, or there's someone who needs something figured out, or there's like fulanitos, sisters, brothers, cousins, Fulanito. you know, everybody, <laughs> like, there's always something that's happening in that space. And I don't always want to showcase that it's messy. And, you know, in part, sometimes when the, when the folks are near and dear to my heart, like, I don't necessarily want the world to know their struggles and their issues with because sometimes they're, they're going to judge them, right? Like, why are you dealing with this? You're the you're the daughter. They're the aunts, uncles, older generation. Like, why is this falling on you? And sometimes that can be really hard to explain. Yeah. So I don't always bring those pieces with me, but I do say, hey, I'm I'm kind of dealing with some personal stuff right now. I'm gonna head out a little bit early, or I'm gonna log off for an hour, or I just need the space to deal with this in my head, everything is fine. Nothing, you know, nothing's going on. Um, but I need to take care of myself because I just spent some time taking care of all of that. So, you know, there definitely have been times earlier in my career where there was a lot of stuff happening mm-hmm. in my home life. And, and I felt like I had to be, I had to mask. I had to put on the mask that everything was fine and okay. And it was not right. And so like productivity was out the door. My attention span during the day was out the door. And like, you try so hard just to fit yourself back in that mold. Um, and, and there were definitely days when I got home and I was just exhausted from trying to hang on to that type of employee that I had to be in that moment. And I don't know, again, if it's just, I'm, I'm older, like I've heard when you hit a certain age, you're just like, I don't, I don't care anymore. <laughs> like you, you think about things differently, or um, I think a lot of it has to do with, with the team and the culture here uh, that I work with, that I can say like, I need a beat. I'm going to get this together and then I'll be back. And when I'm back, I'll knock it out of the park. But right now I need to recuperate. Yeah, that resonates with me so much. On a, on a different experience, I remember being in a meeting. So I've been in sales for most of my career. And I was in a meeting with like many teams in the organization, all rolling up to like a director, right? And it was time for questions. And our team was already on track to hitting our quota. But I asked the question, I was like, hey, you know, there's this launch coming up. And, you know, we're struggling to get incremental revenue because of X, Y, and Z. Like, is anyone else experiencing these issues? And, you know, some people raised their hand. They're like, oh, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Like, I'm struggling with this as well. This is what I did, though. I was like, oh, great tip. When I got back to my desk, I got roasted. (laughs) My teammates were like, you can't say that in a meeting with a director. The director's going to think that we're not on our shit. They're going to think that we're Mm. slacking. Like Mm -hmm. you can't put out, you got to consult with us before putting out that image of our team out there. I was like, oh my God, I thought we, like one of our values, what I thought one of our team values was supposed to be vulnerable. Like, should we not ask these vulnerable questions? I was like, I'm trying to help us out. Right. But it goes back to this idea around like this perfect mold that we're trying to fit into. And if we do anything to go out of that, like, like in in that moment, I was like, oh my God, like they're never going to trust me with anything. They may be even firing me. Like there's so much fear that comes with that because you don't know how other people are going to interpret it or react. Yeah. And now I think, I think it is a combination of like being on a safer environment, safer team. Cause I've been part of other teams where I've shared that information. They're like, Oh, great question. Pavel. Thanks for asking that. Or also a combination of, you know, me being a little bit older and me being a little bit more experienced and not really caring and me being confident to push back when they push back, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I've I've just want to empathize and say that I've been yeah. there as well. Yeah, and and like what's walk me through why the director shouldn't know 
that this is an area that we might need more conversation about or like why can't we share this like what is the cultural fabric that you're wrapping yourself in that tells you like don't don't showcase that you didn't say like hey how do we deal with bob in accounting because he's a real jerk right like <laughs> yeah. not saying that you're saying like i want to do this better and i'd like to learn i'd like to grow how can we establish that but yeah i, I get i get examples like that exactly anyway so to wrap things up want to ask you What's one thing that continues to empower and inspire you to be your most authentic self? When I see people taking chances on themselves, when I see people betting on strengths, their skills, their belief in themselves, I get such joy out of that, out of knowing that there isn't one way to get to a goal. There isn't one way to sort of live this this life that, you know, you can be a creature of change and you can do things that are scary and risky because in your heart and in your soul, you know that that's a direction you want to move in. I love seeing that. Thank you. And I'll share this with you. When I first started the podcast, I knew I was going to ask this question last, but going into it, I thought the answer was going to be something tangible. I thought someone was going to say, yeah, I do this. I feel the most confident or I'm inspired when I wear something specific. I'm inspired when I have my favorite ring on, my favorite earrings, when I do my hair a certain way. Literally every single person has said that they do it for someone else, whether it's their son, their niece, their daughter, their employees that roll up into them. Literally everyone says that they do it for someone else. It's amazing how connected we all are. Mi gente, that wraps up this week's episode of the Quintuetas podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. It just helps us in the algorithm to ensure that these stories get heard by as many people as possible. Scaling these stories and experiences is the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you. I see you next week. <laughs>